You're listening to Raising Anchor, a Rhode Island FC podcast. We're glad you're here. Hello, and welcome to Raising Anchor, your podcast and source for all things Rhode Island FC. I'm your host, Matt Intrican, and with me, as usual, is the wonderful co-host, Jason Carey. Jason, how's it going? Doing swell, buddy. I know fall is in full effect here. There's uh, leaves everywhere, and I'm uh, getting as many pumpkin spice things as I can get, you know? Uh, I'm glad that you you are enjoying that. I'm on the opposite side of the fall effect, where I'm now having to bag leaves into brown bags, and uh, that's more work than I signed up for. So I, uh, I I love it, but hate it all the same. I guess that's uh, first world problems there, you know, homeowners. <laughs> Maybe I'll figure what that's out like one day, but I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> was that was that was that a flex I shouldn't have flexed? I mean, I think you can rent and still have to bag your leaves. I mean, when I rented, I bagged the leaves. Was I was I getting the wool pulled over my eyes? I don't know. What was what was in the contract? <laughs> oh man, I I do. You know, it's funny. I do know that depending on where you live, sometimes it's the requirement of the landlord to snowplow your your property. Sometimes it's like they get your trash cans and move them out to the street. I I don't think I always had the best landlords because they wouldn't plow until ten a.m. and I had to hit the streets at you know six in the morning. So I. uh that, I mean, we're talking about leaves, and like I'm already projecting snow shoveling in the near future, so a whole different set of problems there. Yeah, you're already fast traveling straight to winter here. <laughs> I mean, if I'm in winter, I'm closer to all these player signings and the team being built so we can get closer to watching the you know Rhode Island FC take its its first game to the, the fans. So I, I don't hate that idea either, though. I mean, yeah, I don't hate it either. I guess it, time, time does seem like it's been flying, but, uh, you know, you're just skipping over <laughs> quite a bit there i mean if you think about it and and the listeners are going to hear in the the wonderful interview that we have tonight because spoiler alerts we've we hooked the big one we have for your listening pleasure today coach Cano, and uh, he was able to walk us through a lot of his plans and one of them that was loud and clear to me was that he wants a majority of his signings ready to go before that that kind of report into medical for preseason so i mean and we'll we'll get to that but Having said that, I would anticipate a rush of signings being told to us over the next, you know, six to eight weeks. If if we keep on track with that holiday calendar, I mean, they're coming. And, you know, the club's going to take time off for Christmas, for New Year's, and for Thanksgiving. So really remove three of those weeks, and you're looking at some some really expedited timetables when it comes to announcing kind of that core part of uh, of the roster building, which... Again, we'll get ahead of and into in the interview to come a little later, but uh, I'm I'm excited. Yeah, uh, the USL playoffs are wrapping up here, so that means uh, prime time for uh, RAFC to start announcing here in the coming weeks. Speaking of USL, uh, who I mean, there's there's four teams left. Who who do we think is going to take it at this point? Phoenix versus Louisville in the final. <laughs> oh, you heard it here first, <laughs> listeners. I I do not believe Phoenix can go for the three-peat of knocking clubs out in California. I think Sacramento has Phoenix's number. I think it's going to be Sacramento and Louisville in the final. I think the uh, the spirit of Drogba will lead them to glory. 
<laughs> I, I wonder how um, you know owner Brett Johnson is feeling about Rising making this deep of a playoff run, because I mean Sacramento's they've 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 got the hardware. Phoenix Rising has not yet gotten that in their uh, in their cabinet, so it would be really interesting to see. I I think Sacramento it's theirs to lose at this point. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if they're crowned the champions, especially after watching the game against San Antonio. That was some beautiful football that I got to watch, which I would say was better than some of the quote unquote top tier teams in uh in our in our country's league system. Um, but I digress. And uh, I, if that's what we are in store for next year, sign me up for every game that I can possibly watch besides Rhode Island FC because that was some beautiful, beautiful football. Yeah, uh, it's they're putting on a putting on a show. It's definitely uh, exciting uh, soccer being put on display here. Agreed, agreed. But we have a ton of things to say and not enough time to do it because uh, the interview with Coach was amazing, but it ran long. And so, you know, we want to make sure that he gets every opportunity to share what he wanted to say to us and the listeners. So I think really quickly, just want to make sure that we get this announcement out to the fans is that there is new merch out in the Rhode Island FC website uh, inside their shop and, of course, at their front office shop as well. Um, Jump on it. I've already been perusing it. A lot of fun stuff. Not everything that they shared, by the way, in the season ticket member email. So a couple of other new pieces as well, but also too, if you look in some of the quantities, there's already limited amounts left, which tells me that they maybe did limited runs for different sizes for different people. So this is not something you want to wait on. If you see it, jump on it today. Yep. Just like the mother-in-law says, strike while the iron's hot. (laughs) (laughs) Your mother-in-law? Yeah. Or just mother-in-laws in in general? I mean, my mother-in-law, she likes to shop. (laughs) Um, I can also say for the season ticket members that are listening, you may be asking yourself, well, I'm supposed to be getting a discount code when I make purchases now. That hasn't been officially streamlined. So if you want your discount code, according to sources that we've reached out to ahead of recording, uh, you need to email your ticket rep or sales account service member uh, and ask for that purchase code so that it can be applied at checkout. So again, if you're intending to buy something and you want to make sure that discount gets applied, Jump on those emails, let your let your reps know, and get that back in so you can make those buys as fast as possible. But again, go down to the office, go to the shop, meet people. It's a great experience. If you haven't gone there yet too and you can get down there, I highly encourage that as well. Yeah. Like we said, you better get that stuff before it's gone. <laughs> buy it, buy it, buy it. Um, I mean, and then if you don't want to buy that merch, we've got merch too. So insert shameless self-promotion right now on our own podcast. There's a t-shirt. Some people, believe it or not, actually asked for the Raising Anchor logo. I forgot to put that shirt up on the on the site. So it's the Raising Anchor logo with anchors up across the back. If you love it, go buy it. If you don't love it, I don't know what to tell you. It's a great shirt. But um, So that's it for the merch today. We really got to get into this, this interview. It is amazing. We can't thank the coach. We can't thank the front office more for the time that they committed, uh, giving access and availability to the coach to share uh, kind of uh, the roadmap if you will, of what is to come uh, for Rhode Island FC and for what the fans can expect in 2024. So on that note, um, we are proud to introduce uh, Raising Anchor's first exclusive with head coach and general manager, Kano Smith. Enjoy. We're here with head coach and general manager, Kano Smith, a former New England Revolution and Bermuda national team player who has now turned coach, spending time leading the New England Revolution Academy, Southern New Hampshire University, 
Orlando Pride, Birmingham Legion FC, and now Rhode Island FC. Coach, welcome to Raising Anchor. Thanks for having me. It's the pleasure is all ours. Honestly, we have been so excited to sit down and talk shop with you. Uh, we're hoping that we get to learn a lot about what's going on in your day to day and uh, just kind of really understand what is your goal looking ahead to the 2024 season. So I think it's only fair to kind of kick things off here. You're no stranger to New England from playing at Maine Central Institute, your collegiate time at Champlain College in Vermont, uh, including then your professional time, of course, where most people know you with the Revs. Uh, and then also maybe things that, you know, some people don't know where you spent some of your time coaching the Southern New Hampshire Penman. Is this just like riding a bike for you coming back to New England or has anything changed on this return? No, it's uh, definitely just like riding a bike. I think, like you said, uh, fun fact, I've lived in five out of the six states in New England. So went to high school in Maine, uh, spent some time at Champlain College, Junior College in Vermont. Obviously, Southern New Hampshire, obviously Mass with the Revs, and now Rhode Island. So one more to go, but with all due respect, hopefully I don't end up in that state because it's, it's a club rival. It's maybe just maybe once road, or twice. So, yeah, well, hopefully not live in there. So. How are you enjoying Rhode Island? Any favorite places so far during your time back in New England? Yeah, I mean, been up to Boston for a while. Um, you know, obviously get up there every now and then. But um, I'm really enjoying Rhode Island and, and Providence. I obviously live downtown, so, you know, I, I like to walk. As you guys know, you, you see me around with my dog, so we got to get the steps in for him and for myself. Um, so just been walking around and exploring, trying different routes. And uh, probably Zako Taco is probably one of my go-tos right now because that's, that's pretty close. So I can just walk there. So anytime got friends come in town, everybody eats tacos. So we just, we all, I always seem to end up there at some point. It's the tacos are the universal language of friendship, in my opinion. So yeah. do, you, uh, do you take advantage of the, the happy hour there? I have a couple of times, a couple of times. The tacos are obviously, what? Two three dollars at, at happy hour time. So margaritas are, are pretty good there too. So not too many of those, but I'll enjoy one or two. We may just have burned this spot out for you for fans <laughs> that want to come and find you. But um, so kicking things off, you know, there is a laundry list of accolades and success that you've seen both in your playing time and now you're, with your coaching time. But if we could kind of take listeners back, uh, I find it really interesting that some of your earliest professional minutes started. Uh, with the Bermudian Premier Division and how in that time that you spent uh, with the Dandy Town Hornets, you won a championship as well as a Champions Cup. Not everyone in the world has been to Bermuda, but I do know I've been once or twice that it's not a very big place. So how would you describe soccer culture between teams and parishes in an island that's only 21 miles long? Yeah, I think you're very kind. I don't know if it's a laundry list of, of honors, but appreciate appreciate that. <laughs> um, no, look, it's it's... You know, for me, soccer, football is, is the world's game, and Bermuda is no different. It's, it's certainly big. I think our two biggest sports is obviously football and, and cricket. Um, for me, I was always always a football, soccer guy. Um, once we start hitting high school and guys start bowling, bowling really fast in cricket, I'm like, yeah, this is this is too much for me. I'm, I'm not trying to get hit in the head with no, no helmet. Um, so it was always soccer for me. Um, it's interesting because you just have a lot of clubs in a, uh, in a really small place. Um, there is definitely some rivalries. And, you know, my club, Dandytown, we were in the central parish in, in the city. Um, so we had Devonshire Cougars, we had Boulevard Blazers, we had North Village Rams. Everybody was just really close. So I think 
it's certainly it's certainly a passion and it's it's certainly tribal within a small place that shouldn't be tribal because um, it's 21 square miles but yeah, it was interesting you know i just think it's it certainly impacts the the day-to-day -day culture in the week and it's just like anywhere else it's obviously not like huge rivalry celtic and rangers but it it does give you those bragging rights for the week if your team wins um, so I do think people are passionate about the game in Bermuda, just like everywhere else. Fans and people that don't play, they always are the best players and they have, they have all the answers. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting, you know, obviously I became pretty popular and everybody always had tips and, and, and telling me what I should have done or what I shouldn't have done. So it's, it's always interesting, but it's good. I, you know, it's obviously the Premier League is, is big. I wish people in Bermuda accepted MLS more and the game in um, in North America because I do feel that it's an easier pathway for young players in Bermuda to come to the United States and choose a similar pathway to myself, go to school um, and then end up in the professional leagues in the United States. Whereas everybody, I think, at home, because we are a British colony and obviously the Premier League is the Premier League, is the cream of the crop, everybody sees those bright lights and they want to end up there. And a lot of the kids end up in England trying to make it a never never do so i wish some of them would would choose north america as a pathway for their game too because i think it's it's more feasible for us in addition to the hornets you've also had the distinction of playing and scoring for the bermuda national team where you're tied as a fifth highest scoring player of all time can you describe what it's like scoring a goal for your national team at the uh, sports center in devonshire yeah so i'll tell you a story my first i think competitive game and goal was against um Montserrat. At the time, they were the worst ranked team in the FIFA rankings. So they were like 2004, no, sorry, 204. <laughs> and we played them in World Cup qualifiers. And that was like my first competitive match. And I just remember like the anxiety, like during the headlights, like everything was, it was just like a blur for me. And I got an amazing opportunity to score in the first 10 minutes. And it was probably six yards out and I completely missed and whiffed it. Um, luckily, I caught myself and then scored two too later that day and we we, we destroyed them um, I think it was like 14 nothing or something so the event anxiety eventually went away but it was it was a good moment it was but it didn't it didn't start off didn't start off like that I was full of nerves and anxiety but somehow found a way to to gather myself do you uh, anticipate that your records will be broken at some point with the Bermuda national team I hope so because hopefully they play way more games now um than we did back then like with the you know i think i'm a real big believer in the nation's league i think it's good like it gives smaller countries the opportunity to progress and play actual meaning meaningful games so we didn't have that back then um so hopefully they're playing i'm sure guys that are would have started similar age range or played similar time that i did would hopefully easily break those records because they're playing they're playing more games so we didn't have many games world cup qualifiers were we always never prepared and it's just last minute all the time so these guys actually have stuff they can expire to and, and leagues that they can they can go into so yeah hopefully just as a as a quick segue in doing the research and remembering my time traveling and trying not to be that tourist can you i, I found something really fascinating about bermuda culture but could you describe for listeners what a bermuda gombe is and have you ever participated in one yourself? Yeah, so Bermuda Gambes, it's, 
I would say for me, it's the real essence of Bermuda culture. They only come out um, for special occasions like holidays, and now they're doing, you know, they're evolving a little bit and they're doing weddings and, and things of that nature. But they've been around for hundreds of years, and they're a traditional um, African dancer that the history of it was something to do with freeing themselves um, from slavery and. They were costumes and they were masks, and the masks were um, to taunt to taunt their masters uh, back in the day. So when they were trying to free themselves, so it's a really good time. The music's like unbelievable. It's just certain drum beats I can't begin to ex describe it. Um, every time I hear it, I get goosebumps. They used to play at our national team games, and that I felt like that just gave us gave us a little bit of extra drive and push when we needed it. But it's it's a really good time. Um, they're just out. For the holidays and mostly you know good friday and um christmas and new year's and it's it's a really cool thing when you just hear them in the neighborhood and people hear them and you can hear them from miles away and somehow you just follow the music and some people just follow them the whole entire day and you're just dancing and and cheering so it's it's a really good time um but the the music itself for me it's just i you can't help you can't help but move and try to dance if you hear it and even if you don't know how to dance it doesn't matter nobody cares nobody <laughs> Nobody judges you, so it's it's a really cool experience. Maybe you guys should get them over for a game. Get them over for a game. Hey, that that sounds like we have the <laughs> the influence right here on on your side of the table. Yeah, right it'll now, be so. really cool if they. I mean, they do travel, so they. I would love that if they ended up and showed up at a game. That'd be great. Can you share how you ended up with the New England Revolution? Yeah, another interesting story. So I obviously went to college in the U.S. I went to small D two school, Lee's McCray College, and. North Carolina didn't get drafted, didn't get any professional opportunities after that. So I was back home um, in Bermuda and I was actually bartending and working um, at a middle school as a PE teacher, just started. So I did that for a year. Um, and then the Revs came to Bermuda for a preseason match. Um, I played against them. We lost 3-2. I scored one. Um, so after the match, they invited me um, on a preseason trip with them to Ecuador. Um, went to Ecuador for about 10 days. I scored on that trip, did fairly well. And then in the airport on the way home, um, Stevie pulled me aside and said, wanted to offer me a contract and a deal. So that's, that's, how, it, that's how it all got there in the short, short version. Does your personal journey resonate with how you evaluate players and the quality of talent that exists outside of the standard academy route? Yeah, I just think everybody has their own journey, you know, like even in life, professionally, in sports, outside of sports, I think one thing that I've learned, and you know, hopefully not that old, but I just feel like um, you can't really compare your own journey to somebody else's. Like I think people do that a lot, and like, oh, why does this person have this and I don't? Um, I just think my journey was mine, and it worked out the way it did for me uh, because that was the way it was supposed to. And somebody else's is going to be different. So it's you know, you hear it all the time. But great stories of great players that started off at really low levels but it's at the end of the day it's down down to the person like what do you want and how hard are you willing to to go after that's awesome i uh i've been doing research on the domestic leagues uh and it's really interesting to see how academy systems are starting younger and younger they're integrating with other youth academies um that are like independent of the soccer club itself but you don't see those traveling road shows as much anymore you don't see anything outside of the scouting network when it comes to, to stories quite like yourself. Um, do you think that's something that should change or do you think that that's something that, it, like you said, it's just unique to each player's story? Yeah, I think, look, the, I think the world 
and the soccer world is so small nowadays. Like, if you're good enough, somebody's going to see you. Like, very rarely is there going to be some person from the corner of the United States that's never heard, like, the Clint Dempsey's of the world. Like, that story, is, it's never going to happen again. Somebody's going to see him play, um, and somebody's going to get him in, involved in organized soccer at some point, you know? Um, whenever age that happens, you know, I think it's down to, again, to development. Like, I think... For me, I'm a big believer in the 10,000 hours, so not necessarily that, again, we can use Clint Dempsey, but I'm sure his 10,000 hours weren't from like organized practice. It was just him and his family just playing in the backyard, and you can get better by doing that too. So as long as you're practicing, and whatever that practice looks like, I think it will lead you to where you need to be. Agreed. We we have our 10,000 hours that we still need to put in. I think we're at <laughs> maybe hour 45, so... Hopefully we get to that uh, that level as well. We're working on it. <laughs> uh, but you know, one thing that I wanted to to ask you, kind of on a personal level, is you know we did mention on the podcast that we ran into you in a very abrupt and uh, you know personal surprise kind of way as you were walking your Doberman. But I've heard in other interviews um, uh, with you that you know your dog is kind of an Instagram personality <laughs> and, and social media presence yourself. It's clear looking at your social media, you love your dog. Can you give the listeners a little bit more backstory on your Doberman? Yeah, I mean, that's his, uh, that's his Instagram. I very rarely post about myself. Um, it's, it's more pictures of him and posts of him for sure. Um, now, he's a great dog. I've always, you know, I've adopted dogs growing up and, you know, back home in Bermuda. But I've always, as I got older, I'm looking at researching and what kind of dogs I feel like fit my personality I mean, obviously he's intelligent i hope i feel like I'm, I'm intelligent he's i think he's good looking he's graceful and he's clumsy like all at the same time um but he's he's the best dog like he's they're so smart and they just pick up they pick up anything um you know he's he's probably smarter than me um he's just really <laughs> he's an intelligent really really intelligent dog he's well trained um invested a lot in his training He's friendly but protective like at the same time too so he can really sense like danger and he doesn't he doesn't let other dogs get too close close to me without being introduced properly so you know i have my way of i kind of introduce him i never do face to face it's like another dog straight away because obviously he's these big big strong doberman so if he if he growls and barks it looks worse than it is um but he's no he's unbelievable he's he's a he's a good companion he's lived in what three states with me now florida alabama and and rhode island he travels well he just hops in the back of the jeep and he's just ready to go and he's like where are we going and he just goes so he's uh now he's a good companion i got really lucky he's a good looking smart dog so i've learned two things in this last two minutes here one is he the real head coach then of rhode island fc if you're going to say your dog is smarter than you and two, did I get super lucky when I confronted you really quickly that I didn't meet him face to face? No, well, you're, you're fine. Your energy was good. If your energy was off, he certainly would have let you know. He would have let you know. So it's, it's happened before where people I feel like are timid and they're like, oh, can I pet him? I'm like, if you have to ask, you're probably, he's going to sense your energy. So, um, but yeah, he's, I, I don't know if he's the head coach of Rhode Island FC, but he does have some characteristics that I would love in our players. He's, he's when a ball comes out, he's turns into an animal and he's just running around and closing down and pressing the ball so yeah he, he he certainly has some characteristics that i would like for our players to have got a good work rate hey, <laughs> certainly a high him. high work Sign rate him. high work rate <laughs> uh so shifting gears here how did your selection of becoming rhode island fc's first coach come about 
Can you walk the listeners through that process? Yeah, I mean, um, the process kind of started, I think, when I saw, I'm not sure when I saw the club get announced. I don't remember that exact moment, but when it did, you know, I think at that time I was obviously, my first couple years in Birmingham, I, I wasn't looking and I wasn't, didn't feel I was in a position to, to be a head coach in the league, but I think towards the end I started to feel that and I felt that I was prepared. So I reached out to, just reached out to Michael Parkhurst and I sent him my resume and we just stayed in touch um, and then it kind of just grew from there. You know, it's like, yeah, we'll be doing interviews at this time. And then it just really picked up steam at the end of, of last season um, when I was at Birmingham. Then I came, started with um, phone calls with him, then video calls with him and other board members and then ended with an in-person interview. And then um, just got told here on the interview that, that they were going to hire me. So that was that's the short version of how I went. What was the thing that attracted you the most to the to the opening? I think, you know, the I don't like using this word. I feel like the word project is like overused in a lot of a lot of places, but you can see that the club is ambitious. Obviously the plans for the stadium and all of that stuff was released already. So for me that's that's an indicator right there that the club wants to be one of the better clubs in the league. Um, and that's not to say anything bad about anybody else, but not many clubs in USL will have their own soccer specific stadium. And as of right now, correct me if I'm wrong, but when it is done, it will be the owner soccer, only soccer specific stadium in New England. So it's, for me, it shows the ambition of the club and um, obviously look at the ambition of the people that are involved. And, you know, obviously we have Michael Parkhurst, obviously we have Brett and there's people that, in my opinion, know know what they're doing so that was a huge draw for me and then it, again was the opportunity for me to lead my own team something that I've always wanted to do so it was a good opportunity and I felt just led me to where I was supposed to be. Could you describe in greater detail what your role and responsibility is? I think everyone here could understand what a head coach is but I know that from a technical perspective sometimes general manager can kind of get a, a little complex in terms of the day-to-day -day roles and responsibilities. Could you break that down a little bit more for listeners? Yeah, I mean, honestly, right now, the head coach role is just not really, not really there. We don't have players. We're not, we're not planning training. Well, I'll take that back. We do have some players, but they're obviously not training and practicing right now. So it's just a lot of the administrative stuff, you know, and dealing with players. And, and you know, obviously, I think the challenge, right? I think next year, this time, I won't have to be having the same conversations about what this club looks like, what we want to be, because right now people just don't know, right? They haven't, if they're not living in the Rhode Island area, obviously people here know about it, but if I'm trying to recruit potential players that are playing at this level, this team, this country, they just don't know. Um, they can only, maybe they can find something on Google, but I think, you know, I'm taking them into greater detail about who we are and what we want to be and what the future looks like, um, what next year looks like. And then once you get past that stage and you start getting into to contract negotiations with players, is obviously crossing those T's and dotting those I's and making sure all that stuff's buttoned up. And obviously I have a really good support staff behind me with an assistant general manager and the other coaches um, that have been hired and everybody's in the office in the office today. So it's that's a lot of it. And obviously it's just painting the picture for people of what we want to be and who we're going to be. Um, and then executing those things once it gets close and um, taking people and getting like, getting deals over the line. So it's a lot of speaking to players, a lot of speaking to agents. Um, yeah, so that's a lot of the day-to-day -day is building those relationships. And obviously some, 
you know, as you can imagine, I get 20 new players sent to me a day on average. Like it's, it's, and it's a good thing because people obviously want to be a part of something new and they obviously see from afar of what we want to be and what it looks like. And obviously the stadium's nice and it's shiny and brand new and will be one of the nicest stadiums in the league, in my opinion. Um, so people want to be here. So it's obviously sifting through all of that and getting to what we really want is, is quality throughout the team. And we're really focusing on the key positions that we feel, and that's right up the middle of the field right now. We want to spend from the outside, inside out, instead of outside in. Um, so that's where, we, where our focus is right now. It's a lot of roster building, a lot of calls. We um, meeting a few times a week as a staff, just going over different things. So it's interesting ways we can go about go about it. So we're just trying everything right now. So what you're saying is you're probably sick and tired of that YouTube jingle for every player reel. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> certainly get those, but I don't pay too much attention to those. We have a scouting platform, Y Scout. So I think highlight videos are great. And it's like, for me, you got 20 seconds to grab my attention before I go into Y Scout. And then I control the narrative in Y Scout. I can look at what I want to look at from a player um, instead of the scouting video, the highlight videos where it's, it's obviously, yeah, of course the player is going to put his best 10 shots up first, um, but that's not necessarily what the player is. So it certainly helps get get you in the door, but then quickly through that, I, I will go into our scouting platform, Y Scout, and whatever type of player it is. If it's an attacker, I'll probably start with his last 10 goals and see what that looks like. I'm like, okay, well, those are interesting. Then maybe I go into, okay, well, what's it look like without the ball? Because um, that's an important piece of it too. We want everybody to we want everybody to do everything, and everything matters. Um, we were just talking about that in the office today. So, attackers have to defend. Defenders have to attack. Same with goalkeepers. Same with midfielders. Everybody has to do everything. So it's we we really try and get a full clear picture of what the player looks like, and these scouting scouting platforms allow us to do that. But the highlight reel was probably gets you like twenty seconds. <laughs> In follow-up to that, though, do you subscribe to the idea that you have more control and more autonomy when you're both the head coach and general manager? Because I feel like there's two different arguments that exist today in soccer culture where sometimes the technical director or the general manager can focus on the business side of getting you the acquisitions you need and let the head coach just do the coaching part. Do you, do you, do you subscribe to the idea that you want that control and that it's of a benefit to yourself to have that? I think, honestly, it's, <clears throat> it's how we structured the club and how when I was presented with the opportunity this club was structured so that's obviously how we had to adapt and obviously Brett does a really good job of of running the business side and yes I guess I have full say on on the soccer side but I don't just sit in a room by myself and and make those decisions on my own like I I have people that I trust and obviously Michael Parkos is one of those like I always run things by him um, and even Brett on the business side as well Brett Brett is has a really good soccer background and bounce ideas off of him. So yeah, ultimately it's my decision, but I use the people and the resources that I have um, and coaching staff. Like it was, you know, we don't have a set, okay, we need to vote on what do you three think? What do I think? Like we don't have a set structure. It's just a feeling like you have to listen, listen to everyone and hear different opinions and it's okay. We can argue in there and we can, we can figure it out. And we all know that at the end it's, the goal is we want to build a team that's that's going to help us win. So we we can disagree, and I want them to disagree with me. And if they see something that I don't, if I have a blind spot, please tell me. Like they 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 know that. Um, 
So at the end of the day, yes, I guess technically it is my decision, but I'm not making those decisions without consulting other people. And and I still have people at the board that I need to answer to. So there's certain things that I know I can, I don't have to ask for, but certain things that I do have to ask for and I need to get clearance for. So it's, I think we have a good structure in the way we're running things. Uh, we know you got some of your first coaching moments with the Revs Academy. At what point did the decision to pursue coaching come from? You know, my time, my time with the Revs as a player was obviously coming to an end. Um, you know, it's, you don't want it to, but it's, it's looking at, when it's looking that way, I'm like, okay, well, do I, I think I came to the decision, like, do I want to be the person that kind of chases the game and goes around lower leagues at the time? It was no USL. Um, certainly, at, if USL was where it is now, I, I certainly would have considered it, um, but it wasn't. Um, you had USL, you had NASL, like I thought the tiers and structure of the leagues at that time was, wasn't, was a mess. So I didn't want to be the guy that's going around and moving from city to city. So I found that I, I enjoyed the Boston area and I wanted to stay. So that's obviously I wanted to get into professional coaching. So I just went, I went and met with Stevie and we talked about it. And then he passed me on to the guys in the Revs Academy. Um, so it's kind of just grew from there. And obviously I think back then when I started, it wasn't many ways for players to stay connected in the game. Now you got, you know, guys can do podcasts, they can do TV, they can do media, they can do Apple. Like it's so many different ways for guys to go into the game but i think for me at that time i only saw my option as as getting into coaching and that was that was my way to stay stay connected to the game so that's what led me led me to coaching yeah it's interesting you know players becoming coaches is not something uncommon uh, we see it all the time but we also see uh, not everyone makes it what do you think are some of the most challenging elements that exist for a player beginning that journey and do you believe that the player's prior role, whether that's attacking-minded, defensive-minded, plays a part um, on the shape of style of coaching that they'll eventually become? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think, um, I certainly think it depends on the person. I think whether you're a defender, you're an attacker, whether you're a great player, whether you're a good player, whether you're a bad player, I think it all depends on your mindset. And obviously, once your playing career is over, it's humbling, like it humbles you, like the world humbles you and you're like, okay, well, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> um, so for me, it was humbling because I started off coaching at the youngest of youth grassroots level that you could imagine. I was doing res player development programs and I mean, some of those kids are just showing up, a butterfly goes by and they're more concerned about the butterfly than what you're, what you're talking about, right? So that's that's really humbling, right? And it's like, wow, like I was playing in front of 30,000 people like two years ago and now now I'm here with, with little Johnny who's more concerned about the butterfly um, that just flew by. So look, it's I just think it's, it's humbling and you have to show humility as a player and you know that that's all those bright lights and big stadiums is gone, uh, but it's how, how bad do you want it and how good do you want to be? It's Again, it's down to you, down to you as the, the person to, to go as far as you, you need to go and do what you need to do. And the one piece of advice that Stevie gave me, Stevie Nickel gave me, he said when I was going into coaching, he's like, don't be too big to do anything. Um, so obviously coaching little Johnny that's chasing butterflies, like I'm not above that. You know, like that's all part of my growth and my development. And I wouldn't be here without that experience. So that would be my advice to the next guy coming up is don't be too big to do anything because 
It was true. What Stevie said to me. RFC will be your first stint as head coach. Uh, what do you think is the characteristic that most separates head coaches from their assistant, like a support staff? And how have you prepared for the expanded responsibilities? Yeah, I think, you know, as the head coach, ultimately the decisions are yours. And they, again, like we talked about with the staff, I'm not just going to sit in the room and make decisions about starting lineups or who we sign by myself. But ultimately, when we go face the group, we need to be unified and they all need to agree with me, whether they do or not, when we go and present it to the players, um, because I'm the one that's standing up in front of them and uh, giving the team or whatever, doing the team talk. Um, so I think there needs to be, certainly, I think what's, what's going to change for me is I've always been really relatable with the players, like, because again, I still feel like I'm, I'm fairly young and... <laughs> I may listen to some of the things that they may listen to, watch some of the things they may watch. So I feel like I'm pretty, I'm a pretty relatable guy with, with the players. I feel like I can relate to them fairly well. Um, but there needs to be some degree of separation between me and them now because at the end of the day, I need to do what's, what's right for the team. So I can't be their best friend all the time. I'm going to have to be the person that tells them bad news and gives them bad information and tells them they're not starting or tells them they're not dressing or tell them they are starting and they are dressing. So I think the assistants can have different relationships than, than I can. And I want them to have those relationships. They need to be able to trust them and trust me, but there's, there certainly needs to be, I need to have certain layers of separation between them and myself now, whereas before in Birmingham, I was, I was always in the locker room. I would, I would, have some banter with them, but, and, you know, I can still do that, but it's, it certainly needs to be less than um, as the head coach, as was, I would be in the assistant coach role. So let's, let's talk about Birmingham a little bit more. Um, you know, your journey into USL came via the Birmingham Legion mm -hmm. uh, under other Rebs alumni, Jay Heaps and, and Tommy Sohn, um, who referenced a couple times. In, in that time, Birmingham has seen uh, four finishes in the, in four top finishes, I should say, in the last three seasons. They're on track again this season to finish with playoffs uh, in mind. How, how would you describe that time with Birmingham Legion? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. You know, I think um, I certainly wouldn't be in this position without that experience and being there. Um, when I went there, I had no no thoughts of being a head coach or wanting to be a head coach at that point in time. Um, Tommy took it upon himself and he sat me down and he, you know, once we first met, he said, you know, I think he said, my job is to kind of help you grow and develop. He's like, yeah, I want, I want you to be a head coach. And I never really, until he said that, I never really thought of it, to be honest. Uh, maybe I did, but it wasn't serious. Uh, but at that point I'm like, oh, okay. You know, this, this could be something, something that happens for me. So, he was a big part of my development, and so was the club. Um, obviously, gave me a lot of responsibility towards the end, and um, a lot of trust. And uh, you know, certainly, I wouldn't be wouldn't be in this this seat without without that experience. I think once we all got there, none of us had worked in USL before. I hadn't worked in USL before. Um, Tommy hadn't worked in USL. Neither had Jay. So it was. The first year, we learned a lot. Um, we still made the playoffs, but we certainly learned a lot about what we thought worked in the league and the type of player that we thought worked in the league. So that experience for sure, I think is going to help, help me shape and build this roster because when you look at guys in this league, it's a lot of guys that have been in the league for a long time and 
Before that, previously, they spent some time in the university system in the United States. So it's definitely some good players in this country. And as MLS obviously continues to spend millions and 10 millions on players, um, that player is ending up in USL. So it's a really, really high level of player that's in this country. And it's, it's guys, we've had guys that were first round draft picks come to Birmingham and they couldn't make our roster. Um, so think about that. Like, how crazy is that? That guys are the top college players in in the country, and they're getting drafted by MLS teams to get released, and they still can't make USL roster because it's some guy that's been on a USL roster for three to four years, and he's better. Um, so yeah, it's it's a really, really it was a really interesting time where I felt like I learned and grew a lot, and um, obviously that's down a lot to Tommy and and Jay and the club having the infrastructure to help me grow, grow and develop. Depending on who you ask, it's generally accepted that three styles of coaching exist, autocratic, democratic, and holistic. Do you believe in this kind of system? And if so, what style would you characterize as your own? When I hear those, I think it's like, it's, it has to be holistic for me because you, you're developing the whole team, you're developing the whole player, like. And you can't just be one way. Like it's, I think, gone are the days where you can be just autocratic and democratic and tell people what to do and this is how it goes. And like, how else would you expect buy-in? Like, how else are they gonna, the players buy into what we're doing if I say, look, this is the way we want to play, and they don't agree? They're not gonna, they're not gonna go and execute that. So it needs to be, it needs to be theirs. I can lead them there, but it needs to be theirs. The game is theirs. Like it's the players are the ones that's playing. Um, it's their game and they need to be able to to execute it um but yeah i think it pains me when i hear people say oh like oh yeah this guy's a player's coach or he's a player's coach and like what does that even mean like if you're not a player's coach you're not even you're not gonna last long if they don't like you you're not gonna last long if they don't want to play for you then you're not gonna last long so everybody has to be a player's coach like they have to like you because again it's it's their game, it's their sport. We're just leading them as coaches. We're leading them to where and guiding them and giving them advice. But it's, it's their game. It's their game. So it's, yeah, when I hear play, oh, this guy's a player's coach. Shit, I'm like, oh my God. It's, so, like, you better be a player's coach because if not, you ain't going to, you're not going to last long. Oh, that, that makes complete sense. Um, speaking of players' coach and, and coaching in general, uh, is your coaching staff complete at this point? Um, the reason we ask is we've heard a lot of conversation online uh, with the recent situation that's taking shape at the Revolution. Uh, there's been people speculating online about you that you know maybe former colleague, player, and friend uh, Shari Joseph could be looking for a new home. They're all saying expect him wearing the amber and and blue in the near future. Is, is there any truth to that that he might join? So coaching staff is complete as of right now. Well, we actually have some positions that we listed that were three positions, but they're not technical staff positions um, or coaching staff positions. Um, but as far as those rumors, um, Shari is one of my best friends and will continue to be one of my best friends forever. Um, he's helped me a lot in my life, and he's, he's obviously a great human being, in my opinion, loyal, um, we'll do anything for anybody. Um, and the fact of the matter is we haven't even spoke about it. Like I've seen him. Um, I saw him last weekend. He came to a game with, I saw him Tuesday. He came to the Northeastern uh, UNH game with me. Uh, we watched the game together. He's been to other games with me. We went to, um, 
I think he came to BC Pit or BC Wake with me. Um, and then we just went and got dinner and hung out. And the fact of the matter is it never even came up. We've never even discussed it. Um, he's taking some time off. He has a beautiful young son, um, 18 months. So he's enjoying some time with his son and his partner. Um, they got a beautiful young family and they, they live they live in the city. So he's we haven't even spoke about it. And, you know, he obviously wants to get back into MLS again, as he should, um, because in my experience of trying to get there in the past, it's a really difficult fraternity to get into. And his name is obviously, in my opinion, still good in, in those circles. Um, so that's what he should be shooting and expiring for. Um, but look, he's one of my best friends. So if you ever needed my help, I'm, I'm always I'm always here for him. And he, and he knows that. So he's uh, but I'm. My feeling is that he probably won't need my help. Somebody, somebody should snap him up because he's a good coach. He's experienced. He's an incredible, incredible leader. Um, people just gravitate towards him and, and follow him. So, Shari Joseph will be will be just fine. But he knows if he needs me, I'm here. So we don't need to worry about seeing him in the green and blue of a Hartford Athletic head coach kit. I can't. I can't speak of what they're doing up there. <laughs> what they're doing up there in Hartford. I'm just worried about beating them whenever, whenever we play them. So that would be an interesting rivalry if that did if that did manifest. But it we would, we hope all be. the best for Shari. Yeah. So yeah. What moment as a player coach has been one of the greatest teaching moments in your soccer development? Yeah, I mean, it's so many moments. Honestly, like I try and think and look back um, on playing moments. Like we lost in three. MLS Cup Finals. So looking back on that, like what one of those moments could I have done differently? I felt like it was one moment in in one of the games where I could have shot and I passed. Um, so I probably regret not having a little bit more like self belief and just going for it and shooting. But then if I shot and missed, and then then what? So it's you know it's those things were out of out of my control, so to speak. But you know I, I still look back on those times like those three years in a row was like some of the best time of my life, you know, even though we lost. But how cool was that to to experience my first three years in MLS? Like we always played on the last game of the season. Like that was that was incredible. And then the first time we didn't, I'm like, what 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 do I, what do I even do? Like I'm not I'm not used to this. Um winning the open cup was cool. Um, you know, obviously winning the first first trophy in, in, in Rev's Rev history, that was a good one. And obviously the Superliga was was cool for different reasons as well, because we had as a players union had some beef with the league at that point, so that we was beefing with, with the league office. Um but honestly, I think as a coach, when I look back on things that are kind of impacted me and what I want my players to feel, I think is all the coaches that I've had, I don't remember anything that they've ever said to me about the game. I just remember how they treated me. So I want to be that person for them, um, somebody that treats them well and somebody that's good to them and somebody, I believe players, you can't just, I look at them as like, um, it's like a bank transaction. Like you just can't take stuff out of it and keep taking stuff out of it and keep criticizing them without putting stuff in it. Like they need to know know that you care and know that you're genuine. Um, so yeah, for me, that's that's the biggest takeaway when I look at coaching is I look at the people that impacted my life and some of the coaches growing up um, back home and, and even with Paul Marina at the Revs, like the self-belief that he used to give me and the things he used to say, say to me to make me believe that I was probably a better player than I thought I was. Um, he made me feel that way, like he gave me that confidence. So. 
to be able to do that for somebody else um, and to push them to achieve their goals, like that's what it's all about for me. So I think that's the biggest takeaway from coaching is like how you impact the people that you have influence over. It's a very personal moment, like very personal experience you just shared. It, I, it resonates as a person who's never been on that side of the locker room uh, with some of the inspiration that you saw in the, the Ted Lasso show where you know it wasn't really a soccer show let's no. be honest yeah but it was very much a development and teaching opportunity to yeah. inspire young men that, yeah it's just leadership that's all that, it is like the end of the day if i if i can't lead a room and a group of people it doesn't matter what i'm saying or what is it 442 or 433 or three it doesn't matter does it really matter i don't think it matters it's the the leadership and getting the people to follow you and come with you that's but with that, you have to create buy-in. Like they have to know, and they have to believe in you. If they believe that, I don't know what I'm talking about, they're not gonna follow me. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Definitely. So uh, so speaking of, of coaches and experiences, who would you put on your Mount Rushmore when it comes to the greats? So Mount Rushmore's four, is that four? Four, yep. And I only get four? Yep. And this will be brought up later <laughs> in another interview down the road, so. And it does it only have to be soccer? Can be, uh, we that's a technicality. Okay. I mean, I didn't put I'm that gonna in stick, the question. I'm going to so. stick with soccer because we're talking about soccer. Um, so one, not in any particular order, but the first one I think is Sir Alex. Um, Sir Alex, I just think what he did with those those Manchester United teams. Um, I am a Manchester United fan. Full disclosure. Not too happy with the state of the club is right now, so I don't. <laughs> and my friends that are Manchester United friends hammer me to like, oh, you're a fake fan. I'm like, I can't watch that. That's not the club that I know and knew of growing up. Um, cool story about how I became a fan, but they actually came to Bermuda when I was in elementary school, primary school, and they played a preseason friendly, which would never happen again. But this was in the 80s. I just dated myself. Um, but this was in the 80s, and they came, and I went and watched them, saw them play twice. Um, the players went around. They gave away, like, a little pin. I wore it on my tie to school um, every day from then, so I loved the club from then. And then, obviously, growing up and watching that team through the, the 90s and 2000s with Sir Alex being the coach, I, I just I loved everything about that team, that spirit. They talk about the Fergie time. Like, I want my team to have that spirit. Like, it's well, down one nothing. You saw it the other day. Um, United this weekend like they they pulled a little bit of that spirit from somewhere so hopefully hopefully that carries on but the way he was and the way he led um, the way he had those teams playing so for me he's up there um, Guardiola's the other one um, I think what he's done what he's done in the game like for me when you talk about impact on the game like he has non-league teams in England in the seventh division thinking about they can build out of the back now like nobody else was doing that before like he's completely he's completely transformed the game for me um because now everybody's looking at playing the game a different way like they even changed the rules i don't know if they changed the rule for goal kicks solely because of of what he did but it certainly impacted the building out of the back they changed the rules that you don't have to play the ball outside of the 18 yard box anymore they changed the rules because everybody wanted to build out of the back and it makes the game more attractive. So for me, he's he's up there. Um, I mean, you can't you can't get past like 
Carlo Ancelotti, like this guy just, again, one of his, I read his book. I don't know if you read his book, but I would recommend it. Quiet Leadership, like he just talks about his leadership styles and how he impacts people. I mean, he just wins wherever he goes. Like you give him whatever team. Now he has <laughs> Real Madrid, but it's not like it's the Galactico area era of Real Madrid. Like he doesn't have big names and he still, he still wins. Um, so yeah, him and then... Um, Robin Frazier. Uh, I love Robin Frazier. He's, he's been a mentor to me. Um, I could pick up the phone, call him or text him. He's always got advice. Obviously sucks what happened to him, but I have no doubt that Robin will, will get back in MLS. And I think he's a lot of job openings, but I think he's so intelligent, so humble, so good in front of the microphone. Like Robin's just a, and let's be honest, he did a credible job with that Colorado Rapids team. That's shouldn't have done that that year what one-tenth of the normal mls payroll budget yeah, exactly yeah. exactly so look robin's robin's a good coach and and then one that I, a good friend that i did a coaching course with last year and i think he's if not the best coach one of the best coaches in mls right now is wilford wilford nancy at columbus wilford is wilford is a special like person like he's speaks multiple languages you speak to him about the game it's just like wow it's just like he's he's so smart so intelligent thinks about the game in a different way his players like love him like they would die for him you ask any of the columbus crew crew guys if you ever get a chance to interview julian grasso ask him what he thinks of he thinks of wilford but wilford's wilford's a top coach um done really well at montreal and now he's doing wonders wonders at columbus so i would not be surprised i'm not saying they're gonna win it but i would not be surprised if columbus crew wins mls cup this year that's a tall that's a tall order right there and <laughs> does, does will know that he's in the, the the soccer grade of four with the likes of uh ferguson he would and... tell me he would like come on he was like you crazy he would like he's so humble like he's He's just an incredible, incredible human being, smart and humble. And it's like he's, I don't know, he just came to the front of my mind because I had coffee with him and they played the refs the other day. So he was he was still in my thoughts. But obviously you can throw Klopp, Simeone, so many other, so many other people. But no, no, no. Yeah. You, you, you listed your four, yeah. four or five. <laughs> that, that works. Uh, building a club from the ground up is a Herculean effort. What have you been doing to prepare for the task? And would you describe are the pros and cons of building a brand new team? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a lot of work. Um, I think the hardest part, which could be a good part, is that there's no mechanisms to help you build a team in USL. Like in MLS, they have the expansion draft, they have TAM money. There's no mechanisms like that from a strictly roster building perspective that you can go and build a team. So we're building a team strictly from scratch. We're like, okay, this player's free. Let's go sign that player. Like, which in MLS you can't really do because free agency is not really prevalent in the league as yet. It's obviously growing. So they can't just say this player A is a free agent in MLS. You can't go sign him. We can go do that, which we've done. Um, so that's, that's a benefit for us. Um, but the other benefits and... I guess the accelerators that they have, we don't have, um, but that also holds them back. So it's depending on how you want to look at it. Um, is it a help or is it a hindrance of, of, of not having those mechanisms? But I think it's once we we started hiring staff and we've been doing a lot of a lot of scouting and 
you know, what we've, how we've looked at it is this is the one chance that we can go scout and look at players at every league, championship, USL 1, MLS Next Pro, college. It's the one chance we can scout in the league while everybody else is worrying about winning games on Saturday. So hopefully we've done some good scouting. <laughs> we'll see a good team next year. Do you rely heavily on that kind of who you've already known, who you've already seen? Because, you know, you could ask anyone and they already have their, oh, I'd play this player. I'd pick yeah. up this person if I was doing, you know, football manager, for example. Yeah. Do, do you, have you relied on a lot of that when scouting isn't something, like when you don't have the information available? Certainly, I think you rely on your relationships and even, you know, it's, you know, I will have my relationships with players that I've coached and so some of the assistants and and then you have the agents that you have relationships with and but that's you don't you I feel like my biggest flaw right now is that I can't not overturn every stone like a, every agent that reaches out like I get back to and I'm, I'm starting to not reach out to everybody because now it's just people coming from everywhere right so it's like I yeah I just need to stay focused and on what we want and we had a really good meeting last week of of kind of finalizing targets that we like and what we want and um, just going after those people and then obviously, okay, this person's signed here, he's going there, get him off the list, you add the next person. So we've done a really good job um, of, of focusing on that the, the last the last couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, it's obviously you, you're building your relationships, but also sometimes with those relationships, it's not good. Like sometimes, that's one thing I've learned again in my life experiences like every relationship expires at some point like somebody unfortunately has to <laughs> it starts and then somebody eventually dies or they don't die or you don't you stop speaking to that person so um yeah it's 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 been interesting and relying on those relationships but sometimes you know like players move on and you move on for a reason and you're not meant to work together again just because you worked with somebody in the past doesn't mean it's going to work out again so whatever's meant to be will be, but it certainly will be some players on the roster that I've had previous relationships with. So speaking of the challenges that you were mentioning a minute ago, um, there's opinions around North American soccer leagues that teams that are coming from scratch usually have an advantage in year one because they're an unknown quantity to the league. They get to build the vision of what they want instead of having to add players kind of in an ad hoc capacity. What do you say to people that, that, that make that claim? Do you, do you experience that yourself, that there's an advantage we'll have in year one? If you ask St. Louis City FC, I'm sure they would say they had an advantage. So, look, they've done an incredible job. What the numbers suggest, I would think, in my opinion, that most expansion teams don't do as well as they're doing in their first year. Um, but maybe they figured out something that, that's accelerated them in that process. And again, I think MLS recently has set up expansion teams because the expansion teams would come in, they would be so bad that they've given them mechanisms like, look how good Atlanta was, look how good LAFC was, um, look how good St. Louis, St. Louis is. Like from even Austin in year two, um, Charlotte hopefully makes the playoffs this year because... Cincinnati. Now, Cincinnati had a couple of really bad years, so they've kind of turned it around. So I think it just depends on the resources you have and then how you use them. Like it's, it's, I don't think it's an advantage or a disadvantage. Like you could even 
I'm sure, like St. Louis City, does, they're not like spending crazy money. Not like LAFC was or what, like what Atlanta United did back then. Um, now you look at USL expansion, obviously us in Birmingham, we did okay. We finished 10th that year, but that was 10 teams made the playoffs. I think Oakland Roots have, have done okay, but then you look at Hartford. Hartford, I think, came in around the same time as, as we have and haven't really been successful successful yet. I'm trying to think of other other expansion teams in USL. Um, but, yeah, it's, I think it's all down to the resources you have and, and how you use them. Like, you don't need to have all the resources in the world to be successful. Clearly, look at St. Louis, but I think if you do, it helps. When asked in other interviews, you've described that you want to build a team that plays exciting football. Can you elaborate upon that and define for listeners in terms of a particular style, maybe even associate with another team, kind of what you're looking at? Yeah, I think for me, exciting is creating a lot of goal-scoring opportunities and chances. Like, will you always finish them? But for me, that's that's a good indicator if you've had a good performance or not, is if you created a lot of goal scoring opportunities. So for me, I didn't get into soccer. I didn't get into coaching. I didn't fall in love with soccer because I watched the 2006 Italian national team win the World Cup by just bunkering in and playing deep. That's not, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong, by the way. Like, it may be some Italian guy that grew up loving that, and that's how he loves to see the game played, which is totally fine. But that's not how I grew up loving the game, and I grew up enjoying watching the game. I grew up watching exciting teams, the Manchester Uniteds of those eras, the Barcelona teams. Like That's what inspired me um, to fall in love with the game and want to be part of the game. So for me, it's goals, like trying to create goals and score goals. Um, hopefully not giving it up a lot. Um, I think, you know, yeah. Do we want to have the ball the entire game? Absolutely. Is that going to happen? No. Like we have to be humble enough as a team and as a staff to know that there's going to be another coach with a good team that's going to have a plan and their plan is going to, they want to keep and have the ball too. So we have to be humble enough to defend when it's time, our time to defend and be good enough um, to defend. But if I had to pick a perfect team right now, I think it's just bits and pieces you go and you take from everybody. Like coaching's just stealing. Like, yeah, obviously everybody would love to be able to play and possess the ball like Manchester City. Well, Manchester City has $100 million center backs. So. <laughs> Wait, we don't have that? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. If they want to loan us one, we'll take it. But they have $100 million center backs. But I also think there's teams that play that way. Like, look at Brighton. Like, they just. Brighton play the same exact way and they're not spending, they're selling $100 million players and still playing the same exact way. Um, so, yeah, in possession, yeah, we would love to be like one of those two teams. Is it realistic? I don't know. We'll see, but we'll, we'll try. And then I think defensively, like for me, the better defensive teams, Atletico Madrid have always been that example. You know, it's like they just defend and when it's time to be SOBs, can I say SOBs? Yeah. When it's time to be that? They're that, and they roll up their sleeves and they defend because that's what they have to do. But when they need to attack and play beautiful football, they do that too. But then transition's a huge part of the game now too, right? And I think for me, the best transition teams are like the Liverpools of the world, either side. Like if it's defending to attacking, look how they defend and attack. And then look how if they're attacking and they just lost the ball, look how quickly they win the ball back. So I think it's, I don't think any team is perfect in the world right now. Everybody's different and everybody does it does it the own way, but if you could steal bits and pieces from everybody and put that into a team, like how super would that team be? If you can do do things like those guys at 
all four phases of the game, and even set pieces too. Great set pieces team. I, I've, I've always loved Eddie Howe's teams, Newcastle and Bright, um, Bournemouth, like so creative and take it like it's a huge part of the game. Like set pieces is a huge part of the game. You can't ignore it now. So I guess basically we want a team that's good at everything. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have it all kind of like mapped out or not that you need to give away your secrets before you've started, but like, is this something you're still coming up with or do you kind of have an idea of exactly what you want to put out there on day one? No, we have a game model. We have a pretty big game model document that we've, uh, we've worked on. Obviously it's followed all of us, all of us for, for years, but again, it's like, you have to adapt and you, know, you have to grow and that, that document has to adapt. It's always, it's a document about 200 pages now. And it's like, it always has to grow and move and add and delete. Like it's, well, we certainly have an idea of, of how, how we want to play it now, but you have to adjust that and move that around. So, you know, continuing on that question set, you've already hinted a little bit in the interview about how you're building from the inside out. Um, I think I'm really curious, do you have a formation as you start to make these player acquisitions in mind? Or right now is your primary focus on securing the best available talent and then modeling a style of play or a formation off of the talent you can, you can grab and bring to the team? Yeah, again, I think that's a good question. I think for me, I always, I've always seen the game as some basic form of a back four of a midfield three and a front three. Whether that's you play with one six, you play with two sixes, or you play with a 10 or no 10s, that's that, that, not really a deal breaker for me. But if I have a, if all of a sudden a really good number 10 becomes available and he could be the best player on our team, am I not gonna sign him because I don't wanna play with a number 10? Like, no, I'm gonna sign him. Um, if we end up building the team and at some stage we get three really good center backs, I'm like, well, I'm gonna sit one of them down because I only want to play with a back four, and I only want two center backs. Well, one of them's the best players, and he's going to play. So you have to figure out a way. So hopefully that answers your question. That's how I see the game in a basic form is a back four, midfield three, and a front three. But it could easily change if we, if we end up with a situation where we have – you might have two fantastic wingbacks and you might need to play a 3-5-2. You might have two fantastic strikers. I'm just going to sit one down because well, I only want to play with one striker. So I think, it, I think it all depends. I think at some point, a few years down the road, like I do think we'll be settled on, you know, like, yeah, this is who we are and this is how we want to play. But I think we need to be flexible and adaptable now, especially building a team because we just want, like you said, we want the best players that are going to be available in each position. Do you start a focus on building like one type of role first? Is there a spine to that? Is there, and I, obviously you can't say players you've acquired yet, yeah. but is there a, okay, if I can lock down that, that back line first, that yeah. gives me a lot more freedom to figure out those pieces I want to make, or is it that maestro, like you said, at number 10, does that matter on how you build a team from an efficiency standpoint, or is it just because you have such a wide net right now to cast that you could be cooking with five different elements all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we've we've tried to focus on the middle of the field. So that's straight up the middle, goalkeeper, goalkeeper, center backs, a six, eight, a 10, and a nine. We've tried to focus there. We've obviously looked at players in other positions too, but that's what I mean when I say we build from the middle out instead of the out, 
out to end. Um, really focus on on players in those positions, and I, I do think if you quote unquote spend the money in that that area of the field, I mean that's that's where the gold is on both sides is in the middle. So that's logically for me it makes sense to to spend the money there. But all of a sudden, let's say a good winger becomes available, good left winger comes available, I will be I will be foolish not to to entertain that. So, but that's that's where we're focusing um, the majority of our time and energy. But we're also looking at everything we have to. Um, you had kind of touched upon how Guardiola's changed coaching recently. Um, do you subscribe to the idea of being like a position purist in terms of how, like we saw the best right back in the world, Phil Blom, just become a midfielder? Or you see uh, as the game's evolving in England, you have your fullbacks like Trent Alexander Arnold stepping into the midfield to create overloads. Is that something you're into or are you a little more flexible in terms of how you see a player's position on the field yeah i mean i i, I know i think it, it comes down to the players i think for me personally if you're a good player you can play anywhere like obviously if you're five foot five you probably can't play at center back like that's just physically not that demands <laughs> that position it's not impossible but it's 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 it should be doable. AJ De La Garza, New England Revolution true. hero. I think true. he just insulted his entire. I, I think he's. I think you're doing him a disservice. I think he's like five eight five nine. <laughs> <laughs> I said five 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 eight five nine. You can do it. Five five. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think I, honestly it depends on the player and how open minded they are. Like I do think some players. And it boils down to like what they're comfortable with, right? Like some people are just like, no, I'm not comfortable on the left side of the field. And no matter how much you try, that player is not going to be comfortable over there. But I do think, I am of the opinion that a good player can play anywhere. Again, look at Shari. Like you look at Shari's career at the Rev. Shari played right up the middle of the field in like a season, maybe in a game. He's probably played center back at number six, a number eight, a number 10, a number nine. Like I think good players can play anywhere. And I think the game is evolving where you are seeing things like that where outside backs are now stepping into the middle of the field and where you're seeing like central midfielders are now playing the outside backs because during the build-up they're, they're they're tucking inside and becoming part of the core in the build-up so i honestly think it depends on the players like if a player says to you no coach i'm only a right back and i'm not comfortable playing anywhere else and then you try and play him somewhere else and he's like i told you and then so it de depends on the open-mindedness and what they want to do, but I also think they need to be open to developing and learning and trying new things. It's like, don't sell yourself short. Like you might be, you might be a central midfielder. You think you're right back, you might, you might be good to try it. And if you fail, like whatever, we won't try it again. Um, well, maybe we do, but I think, you know, for me, learning never stops. I feel like even for myself, like the players, they need to be, they need to be open to trying new things. So. Well, you yourself, I think, from an attacking player perspective, you played defensively for your national team, right? Yeah. So you've 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 both seen it, and now are coaching to it. So yeah. you can't say that you're not setting the example <laughs> if, if that's something that happens, right? Yeah. If I had to do my career all over again, I would not be the guy that's playing up front. I would be a center back. I just felt like the game was so much easier, and uh, probably would have played longer. <laughs> if if I was, but you, you didn't I was trying that, to I was trying to compete out. with Taylor Twellman and Pat Noonan, so that didn't that didn't end well. So just ended up further further backwards. <laughs> You've talked a lot about style uh, and build, but in terms of roster creation itself, what's the right 
you know, mix in terms of veterans, USL transfers, uh, international players that, you know, maybe listeners haven't even heard of, and then just academy prospects and collegiate players without defining the numbers. What's, what's that healthy kind of put them all in the pot and cook together number? Yeah, I think, I think the majority of their roster probably should be USL quote unquote veterans. And I don't, I don't want the word veteran getting taken out of context. Like I think still at a good age, like a good age profile, because we want to be a team that runs. Like we want to be a team that presses. We want to be a team that runs in behind. So you got to have legs. You got to have legs to be able to move around and get around the field. That's kind of like a non-negotiable for us and not saying that we want all track stars. We want people that can run and, and play soccer. I feel like people that, oh, what do you like this type of player or that type of player? Well, I want somebody that can run and somebody that can pass and shoot. Um, so I think it's, it's, a, it's a good blend. And again, it's, I know it's cliche, but you know the best players available. I, I do think the more successful teams in USL have majority USL veterans, guys that have been around the league, knows what it takes to be successful in the league. And I think that's the one good thing about USL with free agency that's not prevalent in MLS, that you can sign guys, you can sign good players from other teams. Um, so finding those guys, and they need to be good people. Um, they need to fit into, again, culture for me is like the most overused word on earth right now, but culture, it is what it is, right? It's like you have to pay attention to the environment and what that looks like and how you want it to be. So having good people that, that can do the physical things and technical things that you want to do and tactical. Um, so look, now we're looking everywhere. We're looking in the championship. We're looking at USL1, like I said, MLS Next Pro, we're looking at college. Um, and, and for me, it just boils down to who's the best in that position. Like we, we have, we've identified so many players now. I think we're at the stage where we just really need to hone in on the ones that we feel can can fit what we're trying to do. Uh, it's really interesting. I recently watched on Kano's Corner the first episode of where you kind of broke it down for season ticket members and listeners uh, where your focus has been. And you spent a lot of the dialogue talking about the collegiate reason or region. Uh, I didn't know there were that many D1 through 3 colleges in the area. And uh, you kind of went out of your way to, to emphasize that. Is there an anticipation that we'll see some upcoming talent from that or is is it back to the mix question you just said a, a minute ago are you really looking for like one or two key players to, to introduce into your system if you go through the players that are successful in usl that have done well in usl majority have spent time in college in the united states at some point at some time um so it's certainly a an area of emphasis for us and like i said in that interview it's around 10 D1 colleges in under a two mile, not two mile, two hour driving radius. So that's where we've been focusing. We've been to BC, we've been to BU, we've been to Northeastern, we've been to Bryant, we've been to URI, we've been to Providence, like um, Harvard, you got UConn and so many, so many schools in the area that we can go and, and watch. And it's good players, it's good players at these, these schools. So again, this is a time that we felt that we could scout while I don't know what other USL clubs or MLS clubs resources are, but I know we're at these games um, because it's that's the work we can do right now. We can't we can't coach, um, so we've been doing that, and I certainly think there's gonna be there's gonna be um, I don't know what the number is, but it's gonna be 
certainly a, a few college players, college players on our roster. And what we're trying to get from that, we're doing, we're probably going to do some sort of of, of uh, invite only combine as well um, after the after the open tryouts, and that's. For me, I know that question's coming up, so I might as well answer it now. <laughs> what we're hoping to get from that open tryout is get some people that we feel are good enough to invite to that um, invite to that combine only. That's going to be with invite only guys that we've seen and we've seen a bunch of times. You know, I, I think scouting for me is really difficult. We don't have the luxury to go and fly and watch some player in Brazil ten times and and figure out if he's what we can what we can use um, but we can do that we can do that here um, so yeah that's that's the goal from the open trout is is come away with some local some local guys from in and around the area that we feel can make the next step and compete at that invite only invite only combine um, we will be mostly based with players from in and around the Rhode Island New England New England region We've actually been asked a couple times with our platform if we can get insider information on how to connect uh, prospect, hopeful prospects into to joining the squad, as if we had that kind of pull yet. <laughs> um, but I did want to kind of ask this question because uh, one person who is going to be attending the tryout uh, reached out and asked, and are there things that players can do to distinguish themselves during that tryout period? Is there something that you know you look for that is you know is it mechanics based? Is it play based? Is there anything that we can share with people that are hoping to impress you uh, on that Saturday in November? Honestly, it's really not like it's really not that uh, it's not that complex. Like I think it's like obviously show that you can you can work hard and work hard at the USL Championship level. Like I, I think. Obviously, if you've been to Hartford, you, you've seen what it what it looks like and what that level looks like and what MLS looks like. I think USL is obviously not MLS, but it's close, um, in my opinion. So it's obviously physically you need to be able to perform and run and jump and sprint at a high level for 90-plus minutes. Um, obviously, that's, that's a key one and the ability to work hard and, and be – I know again sounds cliche, but like be a good teammate. Like they could even show at that open trial that you're a good teammate. Like if you're a guy that complains the whole time when your team is losing, like you're probably not. You're probably not gonna make our team if your body language is poor um, at that open trial. You're probably not gonna make our team. One thing that I always say you can control is your body language, your attitude, and your effort. Like those are easy. Like you can always control. You can't control the quality. You can't control if. Unfortunately, if you're going to have your quote-unquote shooting boots on that day, you might give the ball away, but who cares? Like, Messi gives the ball away, but what does Messi do when he gives the ball away? Like, probably not now. <laughs> Barcelona Messi would sprint and just win the ball back, you know? Like, that's that stuff is easy. It just, honestly, those three things. I think everything else would will take care of itself. Like, the quality that you have, it's going to show. Like, that's that's easy. Like, if you're of high quality and you're playing against people that are not of high quality, your quality is going gonna, is gonna to show up. But those three things, for me, we can always control. And that will be, we'll say the same thing to our players and remind them every day, but those are the three things you can control. Your body language, your attitude, and your effort. Like, that's basics. You can control that. You can't control much else, but you can control that. Where is it important for you to focus building bench strength and depth for a successful season? Yeah, it's important, you know. Um, 
You know, is most, there like a certain position that you think like you need, like we need extra of these in that regards? In an ideal world, I don't think it's going to happen. In an ideal world, you would love to have 22 fit and healthy players all the time and one for each position. Do we have the budget and I guess the space, <laughs> locker room space to be able to do that? Yeah, we do. Is it going to work like that every day? It's not. Like, we're probably going to get somebody on loan that's going to be a surprise that, I don't know. I don't know who that is yet. I'm not saying anything. It's just like, it could be, you know, it could happen. Somebody might call and say, hey, do you need this? Well, oh, yeah, send him. We could get three injuries in one position. Um, you just never know. It's just, so hopefully, in an ideal world, yeah, I would love to have 22 players, one for each position, probably three three goalkeepers because you need more you need more than two um, but if you have one for each position then every day in training you could do 11 v 11 but it's never it's never going to work out like that nor would we do 11 v 11 every day that would be crazy too but um, if you needed to you could you could do that because that's in essence that's the game it's 11 v 11 so but yeah in an ideal world to answer your question I would love to for each position but that's not going to happen um, <laughs> so but that's where the players need to be flexible. They need to be adaptable, too. Like, you need to have guys that can play play multiple positions. And even at the higher level, it's the same. You know, in the top leagues, it's you have guys that are versatile and can play multiple positions. But I think in this league, it's, it's extremely key to have that. Speaking of 22 players, we know the roster max is 30. But we know most teams give themselves space for academy as well as if they need to sign someone uh, due to an emergency or an un unforeseen circumstance. Mm -hmm. Do you have an ideal target number of players you want to acquire for the for the club? I think it's honestly it's for me the roster build is never complete like it's just never done. It's you're always looking to add and get better and again injuries are going to happen and you know <laughs> lamest term to answer the question is like you need you need uh 18 players on a match day, so you need 18. That's the base. You need, a, you need a full. You need a full roster. You have a full roster of 18 on a match day. So anybody past that on the match day is obviously going to be outside of the match day team. But obviously, there may be times, and you see it around the world, where like you're short. You're short a player too. Like you may only dress, be able to dress 16. So Jason's going to be able to dress for your coach. Yeah, we'll get him. We'll get him on a USL Academy deal. <laughs> we don't want to ruin, ruin his eligibility. <laughs> How do you describe to listeners what the USL and its competitive is like in comparison to other leagues domestically or internationally? Yeah, I think you look at USL this year, like it's really competitive. I mean, the East, every playoff team is sewn up. Um, Birmingham just locked up the seventh seed. Well, they could get sixth, uh, but they locked up their playoff spot this weekend. So it's down to Miami and Detroit to get the last spot in the East. Um, but the West, I think it's like, I still think it's like four, five, four or five yeah, teams that got a chance. And like the seventh place team could maybe get fourth. So it's like, it's, it's, it's a lot of diversity in the league. Like I think you see a lot of different playing styles, a lot of different players. Whereas I feel like MLS is a little bit more... And I don't mean this in a bad way. I just feel like MLS is a little bit more cookie cutter. Like everything's the same. Stadiums are the same. Like jerseys are the same. Coaches are the same. Like everything's the same. Whereas USL, it feels really diverse. Um, it's in 
And I also feel like a lot of big cities are similar too. Like, you know, obviously people from Seattle and Portland are going to say they're like totally different. But from us on the East Coast, they're like, yeah, it's just the north, north, northwest, right? Like, and I'm sure they'll say the same thing about the eastern cities like New York, New Jersey, D.C., like Philly. Like they're all similar. Boston, all similar. I feel like USL teams are so spread out and the league's like so diverse, like Oakland's completely different than Phoenix. Like Detroit's completely different than Miami. But I feel like that's a cool part about the league is going to be able to travel and no disrespect, but why would I ever like go to Tulsa? Like other than, you know, going to, to go play soccer there, right? It's like, it's not a tourist destination. Am I right or am I wrong? It's, it's not. <laughs> we've, we've said the same thing and we hope because we know that there's going to yeah. be a few away games probably yeah. at the beginning of the season mm -hmm. and to attract listeners and yeah. fans of the club to go, yeah. we're hoping the first few games aren't. We've made the yeah. joke that please yeah. don't be Tulsa, you know, yeah. be Las Vegas, yeah. be be another place where mm -hmm. there's other things than just watching. Yeah. I don't, and Rhode I don't want to just get taken out of context by the way, using that. Like Tulsa is actually a cool place. Like I went and I'm like, wow, Tulsa, like this is a cool city. Like it's got some history. Like. Black Wall Street and all that stuff. Like, went and checked that out. Like, but I wouldn't just go there, like, on my own. Um, and even, like, other cities. Like, I've never, I have no reason to go to Oakland. Like, it's, you know, it's, uh, so I think you get to see different parts of the country that are really, really cool. This is a question we're going to ask at the end, but because you're on this topic now, I, I feel like it's just has to be asked. Uh, we've heard that you love traveling to these, these markets um, to see and experience that. If, a fan was to, you know, make the away travel commitment, the away day experience from that perspective of culture and food and, and general soccer vibes. What's the place that, the, if the schedule permits, because I know not every, we don't play one-to-one -one for every team, especially in the West, what is that travel destination that you would recommend to a, a fan of Rhode Island FC that may want to catch the game in an away, an away day? So my favorite away trip is because I've obviously lived in Florida and Florida reminds me the most of home. Like it's, you know, the weather and the way it feels, the way it smells, the temperature. I would say Tampa. Tampa's always my favorite away trip. They got great grass. It's a good team. They have a good atmosphere. It's right in the middle of St. Pete. Um, I just, when I'm there, I spend as much time outside walking, running, it's in a really cool part of St. Pete. They have farmers markets and stuff down there in, the, in a big park on the weekend. So I would say that's my favorite experience. I don't know what other people are looking for, but for me, that's that's my favorite experience. But also, well, for sure going to that one. So that one they could easily pencil in. The West Coast, we don't know. But, um, you know, Phoenix. Phoenix is a good experience. Phoenix is a good experience, too. Um, enjoyed that one. They got a really good atmosphere. Another really good club. Always have, always have a good team. But um, yeah, if I had to pick one, I would say Tampa. Okay, listeners, lock it in. We're gonna <laughs> gotta show up and support in Tampa. Snowbirds invade invade Tampa. Exactly. <laughs> so from a USL perspective, what have you already seen change in terms of team performance in the league since you've started coaching? I think teams are spending more. I think teams are realizing within any league and not necessarily you need to spend on on roster. And it's like you look at, again, you look at around the world, like a Brighton has success, Brentford has success, Aston Villa had success. Like all these teams are 
having success and they spend in their own way. Like, so Brentford is spending in their own way. Brentford spends in their player recruitment and they recruit a specific player that fits Brentford's game model. Where it's the same for Brighton. So they obviously spend in recruiting because they know they can't spend on transfer fees, but they know they can go spend on the scouting department. So it's like, yeah, you pay a guy, I don't know, 100,000 versus 140,000. That makes a big difference to that scout, but that's not transfer fees that you have to spend. So it's, I think everybody in the league has their own thing and everything that they do and that they do well. Um, but I firmly believe that you need to invest somewhere. And whatever that is, you know, obviously some clubs just invest in the roster and they have, they have the best players. So that's what makes them successful. But then you have other teams like a Detroit is not, it's not that Detroit doesn't spend outspend anyone, but Detroit still for me has had success. So they're spending somewhere to make, to make their club good. And their fan experience is unbelievable. That one it's unbelievable fan experience too. Um, Detroit's it's like, to me, it's like a little, little Portland, like a little Portland, um, Portland Timbers vibe. Like it's, everybody's into it. Like they're yelling at you. Like I remember going to this one guy told me my hat sucks. Like I'm like, you know what? That's, that's, I like that. That's, that's, <laughs> that, I, I enjoyed that banter from you. Like it was, it was, it was good. You know, it's like, it's, it's not, it's not all, um, it's not all, uh, soccer moms and kids in Detroit. Like it's, some real some real some real dudes some real <laughs> real passion yeah some real some real passion there some real people <laughs> so don't wear hats in detroit city FC. yeah i think well yeah they're definitely going to tell you it sucks if it's a rhode island <laughs> rhode island fc hat <laughs> um speaking of success uh you know you mentioned earlier in the interview you had won the open cup with the revs back in uh 2007 and knowing firsthand what that experience is like uh, how important is something like the Open Cup to to Rhode Island FC next season? I know that there's that underdog Cinderella story of getting high enough in and you know getting to the quarters or the semis uh, to play the MLS teams at some point. But you know, is that even a is that a priority on your roadmap and on your radar? Look again, I know it's like really cliche to say. It's like well, obviously we're competitors and we we want to win. We want to win every game. Um, obviously. You know, you obviously the exciting part about the Open Cup is that you get that you get drawn against clubs that you wouldn't normally get drawn against. So yeah, it'd be really cool to play against the Revs and play in Gillette or have them come down here and us us play them and give them a real give them a real game. You know, um, I think that's that's exciting. Um, but ultimately, we're judged on the USL Championship. So obviously, the next game is the most important. But I don't think I would. I don't know. I was put in a position of saying I got to win one or the other. Hopefully I'm never like in that position. But I do I do think the longer you go in the Open Cup, I do think it impacts. Um, I think it does impact teams with smaller, with smaller rosters, you know, because uh, you're just playing more games. You're going into overtime. It's that added extra minutes. But, yeah, I would, I would love to be able to win both. <laughs> so, so I'm not going to pick one. <laughs> Speaking of both. You know, the ownership group has been very vocal. We've interviewed Brett, who's who's shared, you know, uh, he, they've echoed the sentiment of being successful in year one. Uh, on a coaching level, what do you define as success for the club in year one? I think 
obviously, you know, the results and ultimately you want to win more than you lose. Um, whatever that looks like, I'll be, yeah, I would love to win every game. It's not, it's not possible. Yeah, unfortunately, it's just not possible. We're not gonna, we're not gonna win every game. But I think establishing an identity um, and people leave the stadium like entertained and uh, you know they come watch us and they be like, okay, that's that's a Rhode Island FC team. Like that's that's our team. Like get behind us. We're gonna lose. At least the guys, you can see the guys giving all eff- all their effort and all their energy. And then I think it's obviously benchmarks that you can obviously use as, as success, right? But I think obviously as how the league is set up and how championships are won in, in most sports in this country. Like the team that's holding the trophy at the end is not necessarily always the best team, um, but they are because that's how, how the league is structured. So I think a certain indicators for us of what what's going to be make us a good team and what's defines good performances like obviously possession but possession with a purpose like creating goal scoring opportunities like final third recoveries winning the ball higher higher up the field like if we're getting better incrementally better at those those numbers I do think that also defines success because they're going to be targets in those numbers that we want to hit and that's going to indicate if we are a good team like if we're in the bottom and in, in final third final third wins then we're probably not probably not a good team and we're probably not true to the game model that we want to have. So we want to win the ball higher up the field. We want to create goal scoring opportunities. We want to score more set pieces than other teams. Like it's, I think it's other, obviously the results for sure drive the, the success benchmarks, but I do think there's other, other key indicators. So we've heard um, players are signed, but we can't, we can't talk about that due to league requirements. Can you share maybe a little, like, approximately when we, sh- like, we'll start hearing about this? And then do you have an idea of when the majority of the team will be built? Or you do have, like, a it needs to be done by here kind of, like, a date in mind? The roster build is never done <laughs> and it's never complete. So whenever we report to preseason, January 15th, whatever that is, like, whatever, how many players are signed or not signed, um, but we'll have enough players to conduct a full training session that day because we'll have trialists, we'll have local college guys that we'll give opportunities to that maybe just stay, stick around and, and help us and train with us all, all year. So, look, the complete roster, it's, it's just never done. But guarantee we, we should, and I'm banking on having <laughs> at least 18 players on, on, March, on March 9th. Um, but obviously, we need to have a group together way before that so they can build a chemistry and, and gel. Um, and as far as signings being announced, um, per league policies and guidelines, you cannot announce a player until that player's team is eliminated from playoff contention. So if I answer that next question, you could start digging and start figuring out potential players. So I'm not going to answer that question. Um, we have a strategy of a player that we would like to announce first because he was the first player to ever sign a contract for the club. So we think that's going to be a cool moment um, for him and for us. Trust me, it'll be many more announcements to follow <laughs> after that one. So when you're not walking the Doberman, when you're not, you know, deep in sports management or <laughs> roster construction or soccer strategy in general, what do you do in your downtime? What do you do to decompress from the daily grind? 
Yeah, good question. Um, I've picked up yoga like in the past the past two years. I should do it a lot more because I do feel it helps me. Like it does help me relax, and um, it just puts my mind in like a different different space. But then it's also finding the time to do it. So I guess overall, it's again, it's just doing things for yourself. Like you just. Obviously, you have to do things for other people and you need to help and, and serve other people. Or sometimes you just need to take a little bit of time for yourself. So I do like to read, but I read in spurts. Like I, I don't, I would go months without reading, but then I could go weeks where I'm just knocking out books. So I'm not in a book reading phase right now. I'm just, uh, but yeah, I mean, soccer is my hobby too. So I watch it. Um, I think a lot of people don't understand that. Like, so wait that's your job but you also like yeah like watching it yeah that's it's my hobby too um so that um working out trying to stay fit trying to defeat father time stay young that's that's a hobby too <laughs> um but yeah trying nice food obviously it's, it's plenty of good restaurants in in the area um any any shout outs or recommendations you want to throw i always have to get my jamaican Jamaican food fix once once a weekish. You so go to flames. I go to flames. Oh yeah. yeah. I know I know the owner, I know Jonathan. So I go there. He's got a has one in Boston too, so I used to go to that one. So i just went yesterday actually. So um but yeah, it's it's so many good food. Obviously Venda I was at I was at the Columbus Day Fest. Um so I was up there eating. So it's uh I need to branch out a little bit more. I find stuff that's uncomfortable with and I don't branch out so i just need to keep trying new places we'll throw some recommendations your way we please got do. you please do we got you. <laughs> um then i think it, it's only fitting to ask because we've we've teased this on the pod a couple of times what's the what's the go-to grocery item at trader joe's i've i've got away from my go to sugary stuff now i try to cut down like my sugar intake so trader joe's is, is bad for that because they got plenty <laughs> of things with tons of sugar um I don't know. Obviously, I always get blueberries and chicken from there. Like I, I try to meal prep like some days of the week just so I'm, like have some consistency with what I'm eating. So obviously those, obviously their milk, um, the chocolate, like that's like the one sweet sweet I give myself. It's like a the wicked good chocolate. chocolate. There's a chocolate every now seventy percent seventy percent dark chocolate. Um, but I found a farmer's market this weekend, so Trader Joe's might be. Uh oh. Trader Joe's might be on the outside look, out. on the outside looking in for some for sometimes <laughs> if I can make it to the to the farmers market. But. Coach, it's been an honor getting to sit down with you and talk shop. We can't wait to see what you have in store for the fans, uh, what you have in store for the club, and we're excited to be able to document and see what that what that end result will be. So thank you again for joining the podcast today. No problem. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. That might be the longest I've ever sat down in a room with anyone and just asked questions with a hot mic before. I uh, I was not prepared for the coach to be that detailed in his answers. Yeah, I actually was surprised that we got around the two-hour mark. I, I kind of didn't feel like it was that long. I think he was surprised, too. I think he definitely looked at his watch at the end like, how long did these guys trick me into this interview? Yeah, and even at that point, I feel like we probably could have got like kept pestering him for more things <laughs> agreed agreed 
Um, it was really fun after the mics went cold uh, when he started asking about player rumors and, and speculation and we threw names out there and, you know, he, he, he never said no. He would smile. He would kind of like, mm, okay, that's an interesting one. Um, but my favorite was when we brought up Ronaldo de Moose and he instantly defaulted to, well, he's under contract. So how could that possibly be? Which tells me you only know a player's contract if you were actively interested in getting that player. So that just adds more fuel to the fire for my suspicions that Demoose is definitely on the short list or he's already been signed. Yeah, coach has got uh, quite the poker face. Um, I, 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 I hope too that we get uh, get some Demoose, but I, I imagine he's probably very intimate with the knowledge of. I'd say at least a lot of the the higher tier players and what their kind of contract situation is. Agreed, agreed. And we'll learn, you know, in the weeks to come about that. So, uh for the sake of the for the sake of this recording, we're just going to cut things off here. Uh no events, no questions for this episode. We'll get back to those on your regularly scheduled broadcast. Um Jason, where can they find us? All right, guys. So, we have a TikTok, Twitter, and Threads. All of those are at RAFC Podcast. We have an Instagram at Raising Anchor, and there's the website, www.raisingancorpodcast.com. Anchor's up there, buddy. Anchor's up.